Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one, two, three. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 10th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome back, everybody, to what really I call is the Dog Days of Spring Training podcast and why you ask well you're at march 10th you're a little over two weeks before opening day opening day is a little earlier this year march 28th and all the stories have been written you've gotten your fix of games you've 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 checked in on on various players and, and you're probably starting to itch for games that count because as much as you like watching baseball it's pretty hard sitting and watching games in spring training where the stats don't count, the the wins don't count, and getting juiced up for the season is only so much you can you can take of spring training. So, with that said, there's still a couple of weeks away. There's still some work to be done. Players still rounding into shape, but this is the dog days of spring training podcast because what what else can you really talk about? You start to beat to death the same topics. Well. We're going to put that challenge out to Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, who joined me earlier today. Mike is actually down in Port St. Lucie. Uh, you guys know who he is. You guys have probably read many of his columns at Mike Vac on Twitter. Mike's going to give us his take on a bunch of things. I'll start it off with the story or the narrative, you want to say, or the big story that's come out of spring training, and it's really Pete Alonzo and Dom Smith and I don't think anybody would be surprised about the Pete Alonso part of it because he's been talked about and discussed since the Arizona Fall League, since last season, since the Futures game. I mean, this is a guy that Mets fans and the media has been dying to get a look at. And really, because of the absence of Elena Cespedes, is a guy they're looking to to plug a a pretty big void, which is right-handed power. And as much as we can... Sit and say you got Keon Broxton and and Todd Frazier and uh, you know J D Davis. I mean, this is the guy that's going to be able to give you the kind of thirty five forty home run power that Cespedes did over when he was healthy over the last few years. Uh, maybe not the impact that Cespedes had, uh, but certainly the power is what you're looking for. 
another long home run. Alex Cora of the Red Sox, the manager of the Red Sox, said he's the best player in Florida right now, and that's all well and good. But uh, it really comes down to when the bright lights come on and it's not players getting into shape, you know, will Pete Alonso be there and will he be able to contribute in a meaningful way? And I guess we'll see. And Dom Smith is really pushing him. And it's funny because if Dom Smith had done this last year, and I know he's worked on, there was some stories about him working on sleep apnea, which has helped him with his energy. But if he had done this last year, I don't think Adrian Gonzalez makes the team and, and maybe things are different on a lot of fronts. But you have this competition. I said last week, I do not think both of these guys will make the roster. Now, it's possible because of Lowry and Frazier and their injuries that the Mets won't be coming north with the 25 guys that they expect or want on the roster. What I will say is this. Uh, it's imperative that if Alonzo, not just because the stats dictated, but if they feel from what they've seen in Florida, in the Grapefruit League, that this guy is ready, I think it's imperative to bring him north. I don't think you want to play... And I know there's a lot of money involved, and if he is the slugger that everybody thinks, you know, six years down the road when he becomes a free agent a little bit earlier, everybody's going to be pointing to, you had to bring him up for those two weeks in April. It's important for this new front office, for the talk, all the talk that Brody Van Wagenen has been putting out there, that he does come north with the best 25 players because when you are trying to establish a new culture, and a culture of accountability, you have to hold yourself in the position of management, whether it be Callaway as the manager, Van Wagenen as the GM. You have to hold yourself accountable to the words and what your contribution to the culture is, and that is bringing the best 25 guys north. You don't want to go out there, send the guy down for two weeks to work on some nonsense. Uh, If you feel defensively he's still not where he needs to be, fine, but Uh, You better make sure that that's something that's been talked about and put out there because from a political standpoint, nobody is talking bad about this kid. Nobody's making any kind of references to bad defense. As a matter of fact, they're saying he's been working hard on improving it. And some have said he's the most improved defensive player in the entire organization year uh, over year. Yes, home runs in spring training are nice. You know, what is that going to translate into when the, the lights come on and the bell rings? Who knows? Uh, but nobody's talking about any holes in his swing or or what kind of hitter that uh, he isn't because uh, he's hitting against, at times, some some pitchers tuning up or 4A players. Nobody's saying that. Everybody's praising the kid, and I think it'd be hard for me to see, short of a collapse, him not earning his spot uh, on the 25-man roster. Callaway, for the first time, and I was a little surprised because if they do go this route, mentioned a platoon. Alonzo wouldn't get the bulk if it was a strict lefty-righty platoon wouldn't get a bulk of the playing time in that. Now, maybe you do matchups and whatnot, or maybe Smith is the caddy defensively at first for Alonzo late in ball games. It will be interesting to see, uh, but what's very, very important, especially when it comes to Pete Alonzo, and this is not because of all the controversy with the slow offseason and the union, it's about the Mets fulfilling their mantra that they've been talking about under a new general manager. You don't want to look like a used car salesman. Van Wagenen has done a lot, and it's been written about, to manage the media. Something that I've talked about is necessary for a New York manager, and I think he's done an outstanding job, and there's a certain salesmanship to that. So let's not you know, pull any punches with that, but it's imperative for him to be authentic and accountable in this situation, and I think right now it'd be criminal if Pete Alonso was sent down, especially if the reason was flimsy. It was clearly a situation where they were trying to save the service time, 
Yes, I know other teams are doing that. Cubs did it with Chris Bryant, brought him up, and I guess by the time that they made the postseason and won the World Series a year later, nobody really cared. But it's starting to come up, too, again, uh, as he nears uh, big dollars, potential free agency, and what have you. So who the heck knows what's going to go on there. But that's that's that for Pete Alonso. Now, the second thing that came out this week, so even though we were, we're in the dog days of spring training, this is this is actually interesting, was the news that the Mets continue to hire more advisors to their very uh, large cabinet of advisors that uh, Brody Van Wagenen has brought about. Now, uh, both Al Leiter and Jessica Mendoza, Jessica Mendoza, former uh, Olympic softball player, you probably know her from her time, Still on ESPN uh, Sunday Night Baseball. Lighter, you guys know. Yes Network, former Mad. I mean, look, I don't have to introduce Al Lighter, but I don't have any problem with either one of these individuals coming on to the cabinet as an advisor. And I think it's great that Van Wagen is pulling from different parts of not only Mets history, but types of personalities and people throughout the game to be advisors to make this an as diverse group of people from information as possible and he's smart because how you build a good team at uh, the agency and how he was able to improve on his own performance and ability to do the best job that he can do in his position was to really seek out a lot of information and opinions and and know a lot of people i mean sometimes uh, the way you learn in business is you glean a lot of information from those around you and the more people you talk to the more people that you illicit advice, it's important to grow in any position. And I think that's what Van Wagen is doing, and it's great. My issue with the whole situation is how the league doesn't hold those individuals, and this is for both Mendoza and Leiter, hold them to a standard where you can't be in media and advise a team. Now, maybe an MLB advisor is not a full-time position where financially it makes sense, well, that's too bad. You have to make a decision. You have to decide what you're going to be. And I've had an issue with this for a while, and the first time it really came across to me as a conflict, and nobody wrote about it, ever. There's been more talked about Van Wagenen's conflict of interest with an organization, CAA, that he doesn't even work for anymore than anything to do with what I'm about to bring up. That was when Magic Johnson, if you remember, when he when he was part of the group that bought the Dodgers, he was still on ESPN uh, doing... Uh, the basketball pre- and post-game uh, for ABC, if I'm not mistaken. He was on uh, the national game of the week. And then he was working in the Lakers front office. Now he's, uh, you know, working with, uh, he's the president of uh, basketball operations. Uh, you can't do multiple things like that. You can't be the runner of the Dodgers, uh, working in the front office of the Lakers, uh, working on uh, the telecast. I mean, and especially with the NBA, Uh, with free agency and how important it is to recruit players. I mean, that's even worse. Nobody said a word. Oh, look at Magic, you know. And look, it is certainly a great story where Magic Johnson, how he grew up, the kind of player he was, uh, the fact that in post-career he had uh, challenges that he's overcome and is is a model for uh, how somebody from modest beginnings can become extremely wealthy and and, and an extremely astute businessman, not just in the NBA, across other channels, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. And this is my issue with the modern-day media, where ESPN, MLB Network, they should not want those individuals. It should be in their contract that they can't go and work for teams. And nobody says anything, and I think it's a problem. 
And this is not a Met problem. This is not a Van Wagenen problem. He's employing them. He's gleaning the information from them. It's a league issue. And I think it's a network issue. And I think ESPN needs to, from a network that, for all the success, has never really had the most credibility when it comes to uh, conflicts of interest or biases. It's very clear what ESPN wants. ESPN wants the narratives that they put out there that they go over and over and over, uh, you know, ad nauseum, uh, to be perpetuated in real life. That's why, you know, it's almost you feel like they're a Lakers network or an NFL mouthpiece. It's, it's, it's absurd. Here, it may not be as obvious or as damaging as what I brought up with Magic Johnson or with ESPN, but it is awkward. And you, you've already seen some of the media try to take a pot shot at Mendoza on Friday. She was uh, at, at Port St. Lucie and she couldn't talk because of laryngitis. And whether that's true or not, who the heck knows, but you see right right away that that's a problem, that the optics are bad. And um, I, I think, quite frankly, that they need to, to be addressed. And, and this goes for lighter as well. So uh, I have an issue with it. I have an issue with it from a media integrity standpoint. Uh, I think the league should step in and, and make some rules on this. I don't think they will. Uh, as far as the Mets, it's not a Met issue. They're going to benefit from this relationship, and hopefully they do, and hopefully both of those individuals continue to bring, as well as the other other advisors that uh, Brody Van Wagenen has brought on, bring important information as this team tries to build themselves up and, and start to really leverage some interesting and unique talent, especially the pitching staff that they have as we head into the uh, the 2019 season. So, All right, finally, and uh, this is always uh, – much sad news on this front is the uh, the news that Tom Seaver is retiring from public life uh, due to the onset of uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, Buddy Harrelson also has had that in the the public space, and he he he's uh, still out there, uh, not as much as he used to be. So definitely sad, and makes me believe that this 50th anniversary celebration, and we'll be doing a lot around that on this podcast throughout 2019 uh, about the 1969 Mets is really the final hurrah here because I'm certainly not going to be around 50 years from now. Well, maybe, who knows, but I won't be doing this podcast, I have a feeling. Um, who knows what the technology would be 50 years from now. Uh, there's a point where you can only celebrate something in history so many times. The 86 Mets are kind of at that point in a lot of ways. The 69 Mets, which haven't been talked about as much as the 86 Mets, maybe because it's more contemporary 86. Uh, but this 50th anniversary to me and the fact that Seaver is withdrawing from public life and the amount of of talk about the 69 team that you'll get this year is really closing the book on that Mets team. And maybe that Mets era as it gets further and further away and the more uh, modern fan wasn't even alive during that. Some of the modern fans weren't even alive during the 86 Mets. Um, the talk about the statue and this whole city field and the Mets statue and the obnoxiousness of members of the media tripping over themselves, especially on talk radio, to say, I was the one who told the Mets first uh, that they should have a Seaver statue. Come on. That's been talked about since the day City Field opened when it was almost like a generic ballpark plopped in Queens that anybody could have played at. Mets, anybody. And the Mets have done a lot to try to change that over the last couple of years. Uh, with the Hall of Fame and, and, and some of the things around the ballpark. The thing that I have about statues, and why maybe I would think twice before making it a Tom Seaver statue, is 
that I'm about the team and the laundry and not the individual. And yes, Seaver's a Hall of Famer. Seaver's the best player in team history. He's the only legitimate homegrown Hall of Famer that this organization can tout. And that's all great, but to me, it's about the team. And if you really want to have a tribute that involves the birth of this team and the innocence of that first championship and how it was the arrival maybe of this organization into the New York sports scene as a legitimate entity and not the lovable losers that they were for so many years prior. You know, maybe you make it a 69 Mets statue. Maybe it's the final out where Kuzman is, you know, jumping into the air with Grody, Uh, you know, something along those lines, because as much as Tom Seaver meant to those Mets teams, he wasn't the only reason why they won in 1969. Now, he was the heart and soul of that team until the day he was traded in 1977. There was no doubt. That was the guy. That was the drawing card. But, you know, he wasn't the reason why they went past Atlanta in the 69 uh, series in the in the first round. Uh, that's actually not the first round. That's the uh, NLCS back then. Uh, he pitched poorly in that series. You know, Al Weiss had as much to do with winning the World Series as Tom Seaver in a lot of ways. Uh, with his big home runs. The the point here is this. I think that the memory should be more about the Mets than about Tom Seaver. Yes, Seaver symbolizes that era, and maybe it's the birth of the Mets, but he's one guy. The Mets are a team, and I would like to see if the Mets get creative on this, and maybe if they do put some kind of monument. Because right now the only thing you really have as a quote-unquote monument in front of City Field is you have the bricks, which anybody could buy, and put their little memory down, and then you have the home run apple, and then the Robinson Rotunda, which as you walk in, which is Jackie Robinson, not a Mets-related, that's a baseball New York-related memory. Have something out there that maybe is about the birth of the franchise, and maybe about that 69 team, and maybe some kind of conglomerate. Not saying I'm that creative and I have the answer. Maybe the scene from the final out. Uh, Maybe a couple of different statues of great Mets. Maybe you put... Uh, the guys who are in the Hall of Fame for, as Mets, there's Piazza, there's Seaver. You know, there's a lot of ways you can go. I just think putting just a Tom Seaver statue there, to me, is fine. I have no issue with it. But I don't think that that does justice. I think you have to celebrate and make it more about the Mets and the Mets as an organization than just about one individual. So that's my two cents on Tom Seaver. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, at Mike Vack on Twitter will join me. Let's hear what he has to say about all those topics and more as he joins me live from Port St. Lucie. We'll be back with the Talking Mets podcast and more right after this. I had a letter if you liked to hit one over the green monster. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because my, uh, my fiance, uh, she's, a, she's a Boston girl. And, uh, I mean, her family's like watching the game right now. So that was, that was pretty cool to do it for them. If you guys have any Boston ties, that's for the, uh, the local 12. Uh, <laughs> Association, so that, that's really cool. That's my father-in-law's like union. So, as for those guys, Mickey, beyond just the results with Dom, what, what has stood out to you the most? Just seeing him. I mean, is it something the way he goes about his business? Is it the mindset like just beyond the actual hits? And I stuff? think it's the energy that we see this year. You know, he, he got the, the the sleep stuff kind of all squared away. Our performance team did a great job of recognizing an adjustment for Dom Smith. And Dom Smith has played really well because of this. So you can give credit, you know, we put we put a lot of effort and thought into things that 
aren't just our players and resources that we want to help our players with. And this is just one small example of how it's already helped. We're back and joining us uh, live from Port St. Lucie down in Florida, New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro, and uh, he's got the inevitable task of being in what I call the dark days of spring training. So, Mike, welcome to the program and good luck. This is when it gets hard to start writing those narratives that have already been repeated what, about three, four, five times. So you got your work cut out for you down there. I'm excited to write the 17th Peter Alonzo column for the Post tomorrow, Mike, for sure. <laughs> so... You had a, before we get to all the Seaver stuff, you had a great piece in the post uh, late last week. But uh, what's the vibe down there? I always like to get a fresh voice, not someone who's really been down there all uh, spring. Uh, easy to be positive in March uh, before opening day. Those things usually change pretty quickly once the season heats up. But uh, what's your feeling? What's the vibe down there? Are you getting a good feel of this new Mets club? Yeah, you know, I think the thing that's really uh, kind of striking is just – how much new blood is here, um, and how much it's uh, it's really kind of energized, you know, kind of the the whole operation. Uh, you know, not just the kids like Alonzo and, and you know Don Smith having a great spring, but uh, you know just the, even the veteran you know imports like like Cano. I mean, just it's it, it's a different looking camp than it's been in the last couple of years. And you know, I guess if you're a Mets fan, you hope that that uh, change of energy is a positive energy because it's uh, it's uh, clearly something that. Uh, that uh, would benefit the, you know, the team, certainly you know, from the get-go. Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, joining us at Mike Vac on Twitter. You, met, you know, we were joking before the whole thing that you don't want to write another uh, Peter Alonzo article, but um, he's just continues, and I know that it's, again, the Grapefruit League, but his personality, his work ethic, there's so much that you have to like. Um, I'm not sure how much time you've spent with him. But, um, you know, sometimes there's the it factor. And right now, Peter Alonzo, at least to me as an outsider, has that it factor. And here's what's impressive to me, Mike, is that, look, I mean, he, he, he reported for spring training knowing that all eyes are going to be on him, that uh, people were going to want to see how he did, how he responded. There were a lot of expectations for him, you know, and he still hasn't taken that bat in the big leagues. And yet, you know, there was as, much, as many expectations on his shoulders as there are on just about any veteran that you can think of. And he's really responded to that. I mean, you know, now we're not talking about a, a tiny sample size anymore. We're talking about the bulk of the spring. And, you know, he has those three home runs, and it looks like he really has a plan when he hits. And beyond that, you know, I just like the way he carries himself, which is, you know, really as a as a professional and, 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 and someone who feels like he belongs. And I think these are the kind of things you really can't teach. I mean, these are the things that you either have or you don't. You know, I always thought that, that, that was the thing about David Rice the moment he showed up. That he looked like a big leaguer, you know. And to me, you know, Peter, Peter Alonzo looks like a big leaguer. And I think that that's part of the battle, you know. I mean, but the thing that's really impressed me is that he's, he's delivered on those expectations. He played very well uh, both sides of the ball. And, you know, that's not easy to do sometimes, you know. And, and it tells you that he won't shrink from a big moment or from a big market. And it's going to be interesting because if he continues to play well and Dom Smith continues to play well, the dilemma is going to be here you're preaching about bringing the best 25 guys north, and the Mets almost have to bring him up, even though you can make the argument, okay, if Dom Smith could hold the fort for two weeks, financially it makes a ton of sense. This is really going to be interesting because I'm sure the union is going to be watching. 
uh, I'm sure the fans will be watching, the media will be watching, and uh, this will be a real test for the front office because they've been preaching this all winter. Now it's time to produce on those uh, words. It'll uh, be very interesting. It might be an early season story, especially if they send them down. Although, yeah, I, I agree with you, but, you know, it's, 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 it's not the, it wouldn't be the Mets' fault for taking advantage of what the rules are. And the rules may be absurd, and I think it is absurd, the idea that you can lose an entire year of service time just for three, year, three weeks in the minor leagues. But, you know, look, I mean, fans are a lot more savvy than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're, they talk about things differently than 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you know, what's one of the other, you know, conversations of spring? It's people knowing exactly how much more time the Mets have control over DeGrom, how much more time they have control over Syndergaard, how much time they have control over Conforto. It's just something people know about now. This is not something that's just, you know, pops up, oh, my gosh, he's going to be a free agent in two weeks like it was in the old days. And I think that, look, I mean, you know, you, you, if you're the Mets and you really believe that Alonzo is a, is, a, is a foundational part of your team, it, 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 it's hard to argue with the, with the sense that, you know, for 19 days or whatever it would be, you know, you, you wind up buying an extra year of control. I mean, to me, that just makes all the business sense in the world. Um, and if, you know, and, and if they choose to ignore that, well, then good for them, then, then they really are you know, kind of in a, you know, doing their own thing. Because, look, everybody does that. I mean, the Cubs did it with Chris Bryant. The Yankees did it with Gleyber Torres. The Blue Jays, Blue Jays are going to do it with the Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, and it's just hard to argue with it, I think. No, I I, I hear you. It's it's probably going to be one of the biggest sticking points, or one of a few, that the union uh, will continue to, uh, to bring up as we head to a new collective bargaining agreement in a couple of years. Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post joining me here uh, live from Port St. Lucie. You know, Mets made a couple of interesting hires this week, and, and as a media member, I'm curious your thoughts, and I was talking about it in the open. Uh, you know, Jessica Mendoza is an outlier. I, I know both of them could bring a lot to the table as part of Brody uh, Van Wagenen's advisor cabinet. But And I said this when Magic Johnson got uh, – was still working at ESPN, and then he was owning the Dodgers, and he was working for the Lakers. And I said, you know, how does this work? I mean, it's not about anybody's integrity. It's clumsy. And as somebody in the media, you know, tomorrow the Mets hired Mike Vaccaro to work for them. And they said, no problem. You continue to work for the New York Post. Uh, even with your integrity, it's hard. And um, I'm wondering why the leagues allow this. And I'm wondering, as a member of the media, your thoughts. And I know that some people are uh, upset that she didn't speak uh, on Friday. But in general, do you have a problem with it? Do you think it's as clumsy as I'm bringing up right now? Well, I can tell you it wouldn't be an issue because the, the, the post wouldn't go for that. Um, and, you know, I realize right, exactly. that newspapers and, newspapers and television stations have always had different kind of uh, definitions of what's ethical and what's, what's proper and so forth. Um, I, I've got, you know, as, as somebody who's you know, a, a pretty hardline member of the media, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with it at all, at all. Um, for, for those two, but also for Alex Rodriguez working with the Yankees, for Pedro Martinez working with the, the Red Sox, and David Ortiz working with the Red Sox. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a standard thing. And just because it's allowed doesn't make it right. Um, now, I mean, I, 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 it, it's hard to say, but I mean, I, I have to imagine that if Justin Mendoza has to interview uh, Gabe Kapler from the Phillies, I mean, you can't tell me the dynamic's not going to be different because now he's not just interviewing with ESPN, he's also interviewing with a divisional rival. I mean, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. Clumsy is a great way to put it. Um, you know, maybe I'm just a simple guy, but I mean, I, I, I kind of like and white. I like the fact that, you know, if you work on this side of the fence, you can't also work on the other side of the fence, you know. 
Um, I'm also somebody who still finds it curious that a guy like Bill Rafter, who I love, can work for CBS and for Fox. You know, I mean, so I mean, and, and, and there's no ethical problems there. It's just, it just, it's curious to me, and it goes against, you know, the way I was raised in the business. But um, uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously, I mean, it's, it's, it's not in the mess to tell these guys what they can and can't do. I mean, they can hire who they want. I mean, to me, it's up to the to the media companies who employ these people to to set the kind of standards that you know any kind of journalistic entity would would have set. You know, I mean. And I'm not trying to say the New York Post is high and mighty or that newspapers are higher and mightier than other media outlets, but I can promise you that would not have flown at all when it comes to a newspaper person. For sure. Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, uh, joining me here. Uh, you wrote a great piece about Tom Seaver on the, the heels of the uh, sad news that Tom is going to retire from public life uh, due to some illnesses he has. And uh, this 50th anniversary of the 69 Mets, rightfully making a, a big thing about it, it almost feels like a, a closing of the book on a, not only a chapter with that season, but that era of Mets baseball. If you want to talk about Seaver, what, 67, 68, all the way to 77, it feels like this is the goodbye in a lot of ways. Not because Seaver's got issues, but, you know, there's not, I don't know if anybody's going to be around, myself included, for the 100th year anniversary. So right, in some ways, right. at times in, in history, there's only so many times the Yankees could celebrate certain, you know, years. I think 69 now hit his expiration date, and I think it's it's going to hit some people this year. It'll be an interesting kind of dynamic as you celebrate a great time in Mets history, but also say goodbye to it. You know, I talked to Art Champsky the day that, uh, that Seaver's diagnosis was, was public, and and, uh, you know, his teammates knew that this day was probably coming because they've been around him. And, and uh, you know, it's still saddened them. And, as, you know, Shamsky told me, it's kind of another reminder that the clock is ticking for everybody. You know, and, 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 and not just, you know, the, if you want to be morose about it, what it's ticking toward, but also what it's ticking away from. And, you know, look, I mean, you know, guys like you and me were too young or not born yet to, to celebrate the, the 69 team. But, um, you know, there were a lot of people who were. You know, I mean, I, I was just talking with Howie Rose, who I think was – 13 or 14 years old that year, you know, and, you know, you start doing the math and you add 50 to that, that's kind of a humbling thing. And, you know, the guys who were playing with Tom, you know, on that, on that team were all in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, there aren't, you know, there have already, already been people who have passed on uh, who are on that team. It's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's one of the weird things about sports. It gives us such joy and such, such, such escape from the real world and from our real lives. And yet there's so much about it that's a reminder of what that real life that we're escaping is all about. And part of it is the marching of time. You know, it's, it's, uh, I can still remember very clearly the 25th anniversary celebrations they had in 1994. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me to believe that 25 years have now passed from there. Although I don't think they're going to have any parades about the 1994 Mets, but it's, it's, uh, it, it really is kind of a reminder as Shamsky told me that, you know, time, Time is inescapable, you know. And an old coach once told me that age is undefeated, and boy, they get it right. And not only that, I think back to 1989. I remember Old Timers Day. I was actually as a kid at that at that Old Timers Day, and when they would talk about the 69 Mets, it's like, ah, oh, that's 20 years ago. It seems like uh, an eternity. And and now I think back 20 years. That's the 1999 Mets, and that seems like yesterday. It's it kind of is amazing how time flies. And as you get older, and I'm in my 40s now. Uh, 20 years flies by and seems so much shorter than maybe when you were 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, it really does. It felt like sixth grade took about eight years to take to to to, to, to endure, and now it seems like it seems like you know your age 51 year goes by in about 15 minutes. That's uh, that's kind of one of the 
one of the real ironies of life, right? Once you start to, to kind of enjoy the, the finer points of life, it starts to go by very, very quickly. But, uh, but uh, you know, I guess we can get real morose about this, Mike, but <laughs> it is it is true. I mean, you know, and someone, someone like Sieber, who's, who's so iconic and, you know, so intertwined with the history and the fabric of the team, you know, it's it, 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 it's kind of inescapable that uh, that this is all going to be an issue, and uh, and it has been, you know, and and it's very sad. But you know, as someone pointed out today, you know, and I think it's very smart to to, to, to remember, you know, it's it's uh, it's not like he died. You know, I think I think a lot of people are rushing to eulogize him. He's not dead. Sure. And what what I think the tragedy is that you know he had a vibrant memory and a vibrant mind, and you know dementia certainly will affect that. Uh, you know, those of us who have been around dementia in our lifetimes know that uh, it mostly affects, you know, you, you might not remember where your keys are or what you had for lunch yesterday, at least at this point of the of the disease, but his memories of 1969 are probably still pretty vibrant, and his career is still probably pretty vibrant. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, the, the, the spine of Shamsky's coming book is uh, kind of a mini reunion with some of his team, and he talked, you know, just, just colloquially, but, you know, he wrote a book about it, about just how wonderful it was for all those guys to get together and share those memories. So you do hope that he hangs on to those memories as long as he can. And you had a chance in that piece that you wrote at the Post to look back at your interaction with Seaver. Not everybody's interaction with Seaver was great as a member of the media. Uh, he's very could be very arrogant. He came came across uh, on a, when he was a broadcaster. Um, but you had, it seems like you had a positive interaction, and it, it made a, a positive impact on you. You wrote about that. Well, that was like the tenth or twelfth time that I'd ever uh, interacted with Seaver, and I won't tell you that the first, uh, you know, eight or nine were all that easy, uh, because you're right, you know, he didn't suffer fool, fools gladly, and he didn't like that stupid questions, and you know, he could be moody, and and that's kind of goes along with the territory when you're talking about a superstar. I mean, in any field, uh, but you know, he was also incredibly uh, smart. Um, was you know, a great guy to interview when he was engaged because he'd give you not just good answers but thoughtful answers. And um, you know, certainly the day that uh, that 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 I mentioned in that column, you know, it was a day when he was just overcome by memories. And you know, I remember the day that the day that uh, that, that that the day after I had that interaction with him, what I wrote about was Gil Hodge the Hall of Fame because that's what what Steve was talking about mostly. And you know, I think I touched on it in the column the other day, but. Seaver got very emotional because Hodges was a guy who was, you know, essentially his baseball father, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it, you know, it, it was it was a great chance to see him as a as a human being, as you know, somebody with uh, with emotions and feelings, and uh, you know, I think he was in a particularly expansive mood that day. So I feel kind of lucky that I was there with with him that day. And everybody's and it's funny because everybody in the media is going to jump over themselves. Uh, you know, on, on talk radio about, oh, I, I've been telling that, you know, the Mets should be doing a statue for Seaver for years, but this has been talked about since City Field opened for 10 years ago. Uh, uh, you know, I wonder this. Sometimes I have a problem with commemorating just one player because I think, yeah, Seaver's a great player. He's the Mets Hall of Famer, but I think the Mets, and when you walk up to that ballpark, sometimes it's about the team and the laundry. And maybe I'm being, you know, naive about it. And I'm sure there's members of the of the fan base that hear this and say, you know, you weren't around, so how the hell can you talk about it? But sometimes when I think about the 1999 Mets, I don't just think about Mike Piazza. I think about the 2015 Mets. I don't think just think Matt Harvey. You think about that team, and I wonder, would it be better to commemorate that first championship team when you walk up than maybe just Steven? Throwing it out there, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think one of the problems the Mets had, and they've tried to address it piecemeal over the years. You know, when City Field opened, um, 
there really was a was a glaring absence of history. And not only that, I think it turned people off. I mean, as great a as, as great a historical figure and as important a figure as Jackie Robinson was, the notion that the one person who kind of had a a special designation was a guy who played for the Dodgers kind of turned hit people the wrong way. But um, you know, look, I mean. The Yankees would have would have sooner opened their Yankee Stadium without a home plate than without a Monument Park, because <laughs> they acknowledge what their history is about. And I think one of the things that's always bothered me about the Mets is that, you know, no, they don't have the Yankees' history, but they have a they have a damn good history, an interesting history. I mean, you know, name me another franchise where you just where you reference a, a team and, and and an entire era pops up or an entire other image pops up. And the, the Mets have that twice. I mean, you talk about the 62 Mets, you know, you talk about the 69 Mets, I mean, they're opposite, opposite of the spectrum, but that's a part of the lexicon, you know. The worst team in your son's little league, you know, the, people always joke, that's the 62 Mets of our league. Well, that's a, that, that, that's a pretty powerful history, you know. And uh, I think they've been slow to acknowledge that. Uh, I think the Hall of Fame was a great start. It's a wonderful room if you're a Mets fan. It's also a place you have to go out of your way to find, you know. Um, in the same way that I think that, you know, for, for years and years, the Yankee Stadium meeting place was that. I think if there was a Tom Seaver statue, that would be a place that would become the most popular pregame destination at City Field. I think it's unique for the Mets because Seaver is such a singularly attached figure to that team. You know, uh, the, you know the, the, the Yankees have 10 iconic players. Uh, the Cardinals have bunches of iconic players. And, yes, the Mets have have plenty of players that uh, deserve attention. But Seaver was nicknamed the franchise, and it was an appropriate nickname for a reason. Before I let you go, so you do more than baseball. Obviously, you're going to be focused on the, the NCAA tournament, but you're down in Florida now covering the Mets. What are you looking for? Is there anything you in particular, we, we joked about at the opening, you're at a tough time of spring training. A lot has been talked about. And you're going to be at that point where everyone's looking more towards opening day than they are towards getting ready for the season. And, and the stories start to become harder and harder. What are you looking at? What, you know, Seaver is a good diversion for a day or two, but that's going to stop. What else is there for you as you uh, make your way around that complex? Well, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 to me, it, it, it's, it's, I think every year I know personally I get a, more, a greater appreciation for what baseball season is and the everyday and the fact that it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a part of our of, of our of our days and lives of every summer, I think maybe that's something that maybe you appreciate more as you get older, or think about more as you get older. Um, but really, as somebody who's who's just obviously I'm fortunate enough to to, to be living in baseball, but uh, or you know about around baseball I should say. But uh, you know, it's, it, you know the, the the sport is such a meaningful thing to so many people. Uh, and I, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, I was telling somebody with the Mets not long ago, you know, a mantra I've had, you know, forever. It's like, you know, sometimes they wonder why I can they, they get so mad about this, get so mad about them, about this. And I said, look, I mean, the problem is when is when they stop being mad. The problem is when there's apathy and not anger. And to me, one of the great things about baseball is that, especially uh, for both of our teams, you know, regardless of who you root for, there's just a daily appetite and a daily. You know, want you know, need for more and more and more and more and more, and I think that's what uh, that's what I love most. Most most about being around baseball is what I most, love, love most about going to spring training. It's kind of the renewal and the reminder that baseball season's weeks away, and once we get it, it's going to be every day for six months, which I think is tremendous. All right. Well, listen, you get you know you got a game to cover, you got the work to do, you get to it. Thank you so much. Let's do this again, and I appreciate the time on a Sunday, my friend. Alrighty. Always good talking to you, Mike. Thanks so much. 
Take care. That's Mike Vicaro, New York Post. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break, wrap up, final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today alright final thoughts and I just want to end the podcast on the roster so good stuff from Mike Vaccaro hope you enjoyed it uh, some interesting takes there he kind of a lot of my uh, points in the opening when it comes to the 25 man roster for opening day. And again, we probably make more of this than it really should be because just because you start with 25 guys on opening day, doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up. And right now I don't think Frazier and Lowry will be on the opening day roster. Have a feeling if you had to pick one, it would be Frazier, even though he has an oblique, I think Lowry, they're going to treat a little bit uh, slower, especially with the pain in his knee. You don't want to tear a ligament. You'll be out, potentially the whole year, so they're going to want to be careful with that. Now, there's a lot of things up in the air, uh, but not, and I really think the the area where they're most set is obviously the starting rotation, because Vargas, providing all five are healthy, Vargas has not done anything to indicate that they need to go out and get another starter, even though they think, I think they should, and I think they really should look at a Gio Gonzalez. Uh, I still think that's a mistake, not, not going out there and see if you can get him on some kind of value deal. He's not going to be ready for opening day, but I think that's a mistake. But anyway, that that's that ship has sailed, it looks like. So uh, you got your your five starters, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Mats, Vargas. Your bullpen's pretty set with Diaz, Familia, Lugo, Wilson, Gazelman. I think Luis Avion has uh, has pitched himself into the into the bullpen. TJ Rivera was just released, so they're opening up a 40-man roster spot. And I like TJ. I think he's a good hitter. It would have been nice to see if he could make a, a comeback here, but... That 40-man roster is packed, and uh, they're going to need him. And I, I also don't think they want to pay him to be on the 60-day 60 60 DL uh, again and, and potentially have to remove him because you can only be on there so long and lose someone else from the uh, the 40-man. So Evian's going to be on. Uh, I think Hector Santiago very well could sneak into there as, as a long man. I do not think they'll go with eight bullpen arms. I think Dowdy's, uh hasn't pitched well enough to uh, warrant any kind of uh, consideration as to holding a 25-man roster spot. I know they may lose him in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, Drew Smith looks like he has some uh, elbow issues, so he's out. You know, Tyler Batchelor and guys like that. Uh, Eric Hanhold. I don't think those guys are, because they have options, I don't think they're going to start the year with those guys. I think those guys are going to be depth from Syracuse. So I think that's where they go with the the bullpen. I think Santiago and Avion make it. I think you want to have that that long guy like uh, Santiago, and Avion is the the lefty specialist that you need, uh, since, especially because Wilson is going to be a guy that's going to be used against lefties and righties. Now, as far as the positional players, let's see what happens. Keon Broxton got uh, 
ran into a wall yesterday and he's hurt. So I would have him pegged with Conforto, Nimmo, and Lagaris in the outfield. I do think they're going to carry. Darnell's been hitting. I don't think they're going to trade Darnell right now. Uh, I think they like the depth, especially with Ramos' his injury history. I would keep Mesoraco around. And if Darnell can legitimately provide you some versatility by playing third, playing first, maybe even the outfield, even if it's passable in a pinch, then you really aren't wasting a, a space on three catchers. You're wasting a space. You're not wasting, but you're giving a space to a player that could do more than just be a backup catcher. And I think Darno is a guy, because he's been a starter, that if Ramos is out for an extended period, you feel comfortable at least going with him. And I think ultimately that's what Darno is going to be in this league. I don't think he's a one. I think he's a really good backup. The Grom has this kinship of Mesoraco. Uh, you never could have enough catchers. You have Nito down in uh, AAA, a much better situation than you've had in the last two or three years. Like I said last podcast with guys like Wrecker and, and Lobatone and guys like that. I mean, you just you, you need professional uh, catchers, and I think the Mets have finally figured that out. I think Alonzo makes it. We talked about that in the open. It's be criminal to send them down for service time issues. Uh, I think Dom Smith only makes it if Frazier and uh, Lowry, and I think Lowry, I think, I think if Frazier doesn't come north, I think Dom Smith makes it. Uh, but if Frazier comes north, I, don't, I think he does not. I think if Lowry doesn't come north, you know, Echeverria probably will make it. Uh, Luis Guillerme is actually making a really strong case for that too, but I think Echeverria with his veteran uh, glove and uh, the fact that uh, he's got some experience, the Mets will probably go that route, especially early in the season. I don't think, and I know they signed Carlos Gomez to a minor league deal, I don't think he has a shot here. What will be interesting is if uh, Broxton can't make it, where would they go with that, that spot? Uh, J.D. Davis then, to me, starts to come into the equation. I think that's the guy, and you mentioned Lowry. I said Echeverria. I don't know if they would take J.D. Davis. I think it's Dom Smith and or J.D. Davis uh, at versus Frazier. I don't think that Lowry is the, is the J.D. Davis conversation because, uh, quite frankly, you uh, you need a backup shortstop. You, you can't go without another shortstop other than... Uh, 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 Rosario. It's just it's just something I don't think you can do. I think McNeil would play third base if Lowry wasn't ready. Uh, I know that you know everyone's going to say what what about Frazier? I don't think Frazier will be out more than a week anyway. So you have that. Maybe that's you know that's that's where the Dom Smith conversation becomes more complicated because JD Davis can play the multiple positions. Dom Smith can't. Uh, where does Broxton play into it? So there's a few balls up in the air right now. No pun intended. Um, but those are the names that I think are legitimately in play for a spot on the roster. I think anything else is noise. Uh, anybody else is, is just uh, filler right now. The Rajay Davises, uh, uh, you know, Gregor Blancos, guys like that. I think even uh, Carlos Gomez is just he's not going to have enough time in spring training to make the club. I think he's going to be in Syracuse, and, and we'll see what happens. He probably has an opt-out at some point in that contract, and we'll see if we see him in a Mets uniform at some point. We probably will. I would have to guess. So anyway, that's where we stand with the 25-man roster in, uh, you know, right now on March 10th. So we'll keep plugging away. The The light is at the end of the tunnel. Spring training is coming to an end soon. Another two, two and a half weeks, we'll be talking about the real thing and the real game. So keep tuning in to the Talking Mets podcast between now and then as we continue to do these great roundups and, and have some fun and, and get ready for the start of the 2019 baseball season. I want to thank Mike Vaccaro for joining us today. Check him out at the New York Post and check him out on Twitter at Mike Vac. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. 
I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Be well, everybody. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the